you're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. Researchers discovered an organic residue on a 3,000-year-old shrine and haven't been able to test it until very recently. After testing it, they discovered it was cannabis residue. Was weed used in religious rituals in Bible times? George Floyd is the latest murder victim from a system that has a long history of mistreatment and abuse. I'm sure we've all seen the video and heard the stories, but the coroner came out in defense of the murderer, Derek Chauvin. Was the autopsy accurate? Is his opinion valid? We're going to take a closer look at the situation. But before we take a look at all that, let's listen to some voicemails. Don't forget, if you want to call in and leave a voicemail, the number is 1-800-701-8573. Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. <laughs> Hi, Tail. Um, I'm a big fan of yours. I've been watching you for years growing up. Um, my name is Maria. I'm from Florida. And I just have a quick question, if you don't mind me asking. What's your opinion on the Baha'i faith? Uh, I've been seeing it pop up more often since I'm a big fan of the office. I'm pretty sure you are, too. And... I don't know, I've seen Rain Wilson, you know, kind of doing his little podcast here and there, and I don't know, I just wanted to see if you could even rate it as a cult, whatnot. I'm not asking for too much, maybe like a commentary, but, you know, you do you, man. I just want like a quick little opinion on it. Um, yeah, thank you. Have a nice day. Okay, so the question basically is, how do I feel about the Baha'i faith? Now, I I feel like I've talked a little bit about it in some of my videos, but I don't think that I've gone into great depth about the Baha'i faith. I'll just go into a little bit of detail about the Baha'i and what they believe. Back in the 1800s, like the mid-1800s, I think 1842, I believe, there was a movement called the Millerite Movement. I've talked about that on my channel before. Now, the Millerite movement is basically a doomsday movement that believed that the end was here, that it was on its way, and they had this Bible math that they used to calculate when the end was going to be here. They used this Bible math to calculate that the end would be here in 1842. And, of course, nothing happened. It came and went, and everybody was fine. So they said, well, we must have had the math wrong. Let's recalculate. Oh, you know what? There's no year zero, okay? So w w this Bible math, we figured out that it was like 2,500-something years from this starting point in the BCE era, so before Jesus' death. And we added that up to calculate that it comes out to 1842, but we forgot there's no year zero, so we have to add an extra year. It just went from the year 1 BCE to the year 1 CE. So they added one year to it, basically put it from 1842 to 1843. And they were like, we're 100% sure this is the correct date. This is when the world's going to end. This is when it's going to happen. We know it. So people sold their stuff and donated it all to the church and got ready for the rapture to take place, basically. And guess what? Nothing happened once again. So after that, there was a schism in the Millerite movement. The, the Millerite movement pretty much broke up entirely. 
but there were three subsets of belief that that kind of grew out from that schism that that breakup of the Millerite movement. There was the group of people who believed they had the math right, but they had the starting date wrong. And then there was a group that believed the math was just made up, it was complete BS, they should just throw it out completely. And then the third group believed that they had the math right, they had the starting date right, and Jesus really did come back invisibly, we just didn't see him. So something really did happen in 1843, like they said it was going to, they just didn't know it. Jesus came back invisibly, and we we couldn't see him. Needless to say, if you're an ex-Jehovah's Witness, this story is probably sounding pretty familiar, and that's because Charles Taze Russell and Ellen G. White, the founder of Seventh-day Adventists, were both a part of that second schism, which was the group that believed they had the math right, but the starting date wrong. They both knew each other. The founder of Jehovah's Witnesses and the founder of Seventh-day Adventists knew each other, went to the same church, and believed, they both believed that the Millerite movement had the math correct, it was just the starting date was wrong. And as we know, as most of us know anyways, Charles Taze Russell went on to make failed prediction after failed prediction off of that same Bible math, just kind of changing the dates around a little bit, changing the math, tweaking it just a little bit until it landed him at 1914. And by that time, he had made like 16 failed predictions before that, and he couldn't keep it going. So guess what? What did Charles Taze Russell say happened in 1914? He was done making false predictions because it was failing every time, and he was hemorrhaging people. So what did he say? Jesus came back invisibly. Exactly what his predecessors said in 1843. Jesus came back invisibly. So... What does all this have to do with the Baha'i faith is the question. Well, interestingly enough, the Baha'i faith is a group of people who believed that something really did happen in 1843. It was called the Great Disappointment when the Millerites made that prediction and it failed. That date was called the Great Disappointment. But the Baha'i faith believes that something really did happen. They believed that there was some major event that took place and the Bible math was correct. It's a really interesting split off from the belief system. I wish I knew more about it and I wish I could give you a more detailed opinion about the Baha'i faith, but I just don't know enough about it to give you what I would consider an adequate opinion on the group. Uh, But it, it is very interesting. And I noticed the voicemail caller said they're a fan of The Office, and they know I am too. I'll let you guys in on a little secret. Before the voicemails play on the podcast, I play a little clip of me saying, Hey, this is Owen. If you're comfortable, leave your first name and state at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. Uh, Leave your name and location at the sound of the tiny truck backing up. I stole that from The Office. That's uh, that's a voicemail. I think Michael Scott from The Office says that, and I loved it. It's so funny. Uh, my voicemail sound doesn't even sound like a tiny truck. I just absolutely love the uh, the reference. It's great. Hey, Owen. Uh, this is Tyler from Oregon. Um, I wanted to get your thoughts on 
an article that I just saw um, from uh, Newsweek. Two Southern churches were closed indefinitely after pastor dies in leaders and churchgoers catch coronavirus. I know you have been uh, talking a lot about like uh, certain uh, church leaders that have been refusing uh, the police mandate to stay at home during the quarantine. And so I figured this would be interesting to learn a little more on your perspective. Thank you. Very interesting. Thank you so much for the voicemail. I really appreciate that. So basically, there are there are some groups, some churches that are suffering as a result of their stupid decision to hold church services, despite the fact that there's a worldwide pandemic, 100-year pandemic taking place right now. Generally speaking, I don't want anybody to die, even the stupid ones. I don't want anyone to die. I, I don't want anybody to get hurt. Human life is not replaceable, as far as I'm concerned. I wish these people would just come to their senses and be productive, helpful members of society instead of harming society the way that they're doing right now. It's extremely disappointing to me that they can't pull it together. And it's extremely shameful for these pastors to put people's lives at risk, to risk the lives of their congregants when they can just as easily hold church services online, and it's the same effect. The only tangible difference between holding church service online, like through Zoom or something, and holding it in person is the fact that there's no collection plate over Zoom. I mean, you could go to PayPal if you want, have them donate to the church through PayPal, but then you don't have their friends and family around peer pressuring them into putting something into the plate. So these churches are willing to risk people's lives for something that objectively is not worth it. It's just not worth the human life that it would cost. It's just not. It, it's extremely disappointing. And every time I see some instance of, of some church leaders doing something like this, I try to talk about it on my channels because it is extremely important. It's extremely depressing. There are some causes worth fighting for and some causes worth dying for. The cause of being at church in person instead of online is not worth dying for. It's a stupid fucking cause. Jacob, New Jersey. Um, I'm wondering, in all of the cults and other religious organizations that you've studied, have you noticed a correlation between, like, financial class and how rich or poor someone is in correlation to how likely they are to join slash be recruited by a cult? Because I'd imagine, like, homeless people are not their uh, go-to demographic. And contrary-wise, I've noticed a lot of people in Scientology are pretty well-to-do. Thank you, and take care. Very, very interesting question. Uh, basically... Is there a class difference between cult members, pretty much? And as you, as you point out, it, it heavily depends on which cult you're talking about. For example, Scientology is made up of rich people predominantly because it costs so much money to be a part of it. I have talked to uh, my friend Chris Shelton about it before, like, what what does it cost to be a part of Scientology? 
And there's something in Scientology called the bridge. The bridge is basically like the, the steps that you take to get to the very top of Scientology. The first major milestone that you reach in Scientology is called going clear. And from my understanding, it's been a while since I talked to Chris about this, but last time I talked to him about it, I think he told me going clear costs about $100,000. That is so much fucking money. That's probably more money, $100,000. That's probably more money than I've made in years it, combined. Like, in years combined. Multiple years combined. And they are taking this money and pouring it into this religion, this group, this psychology cult, to advance through the ranks. You have to be... You have to make a decent bit of money to be able to progress through the ranks. But if you do have the money that you need to progress through the ranks in Scientology, you can do it as quickly as you want. You can do the whole bridge and all the way up to like OT1 or OT2 or 3, which is near the highest level you can get. Not the highest, but near it. You can do that in like a couple month time period it's going to cost you about five hundred thousand dollars but you can do it if you want to light the money on fire but something that i found out about scientology specifically is even if you are fairly well off and have a decent amount of money in the bank, you're usually going to be living poor anyways, driving a shitty car anyways, because all of your extra money is going into the religion. It, it is the definition of a scam. It's really, really sad. So Scientology is probably the outlier when we're talking about um, class divide in cults. Most cults that I know of have always accepted homeless and poor people into their ranks. And the reason is because typically those people are emotionally vulnerable, the most emo emotionally vulnerable. When people don't feel like there is hope anywhere else, they turn to religion. So you'll find a lot of homeless people, a lot of drug addicts, a lot of people in prison, for example, will be super religious. I don't think that that's because religious people are disproportionately prone to commit crime. I don't think that's because they're prone to use drugs or anything like that. I think it's because... This is just my suspicion. This is my opinion, not a fact necessarily, but I would be willing to bet that the data would back it up. I think it's because when people feel like life is garbage and not worth living, starting from a neutral position, they will look for some kind of hope from somewhere. And when there is none to be had, they turn to religion. That's pretty much how it operates, I believe. So Jehovah's Witnesses, for example, they will bring in homeless people. They, they care about that. Jehovah's Witnesses have never passed around a collection plate. They've begged for money from people on their broadcasts and things like that. But they have an income. They're not trying to... Generally speaking, historically, Jehovah's Witnesses have not tried to 
extract money from their members as much. Historically speaking, they've found schemes, basically, to generate money without getting it from their membership. Like, having them construct kingdom halls and selling off the old ones, things like that. Real estate schemes and stuff like that. And they they have all always used that as like a feather in their cap like look we don't we don't beg members for money so i think that's a really interesting point you you brought up there what is the class dividing cults uh they they actually do go after homeless people a lot the bigger the member base the more powerful the group no matter what generally speaking Hi, this is Catherine from Connecticut. I'm just calling. I had initially planned on trying to have this question brought up on the line, but I honestly think it may be better for this. Um, there was recently a show that came out on Netflix called Waco that was supposed to pretty much be showing and dramatizing the Waco siege on the Branch Davidian cult in the 1990s and the problems with the ADF and the FBI in regards to that. Um, there's been a lot of criticism about it recently regarding how there was a lot more sympathy put on the Branch Davidians than is usually done by the media at the time and as it's been told throughout history. And I was wondering kind of how you saw that, your opinion on the show in general, and how it kind of differs from how a lot of mainstream media kind of use the behavior and actions of cults and the people who kind of tried to like oust them, like I guess in a comparison for it to be like how the government treated stuff like um, the Children of God or um, Jonestown, stuff like that. I don't know. It's just the show is very interesting and kind of puts cults into a much different perspective than a lot of mainstream media tends to do. So I don't know. I just kind of want to see what your opinion of it is. I have not seen that. I haven't seen Waco on Netflix. I'm going to have to give it a watch. I didn't even know that it existed. That's really interesting. But... I know that there was this huge controversy at the time. For the most part, it was right-wing extremists and conspiracy theorists say, and, and religious extremists coming out of the woodwork and saying, oh my God, the government totally overstepped. They went in guns blazing on this religious group that wasn't out to hurt anybody and... You know, I think Alex Jones was actually there. Alex Jones was there at the Waco siege after after the fact and was talking about government overreach and all this other stuff. Um, it's an extremely controversial subject, needless to say. But if you had read the story of how this group came to be and understood the history behind it and and the history behind the leader and the insurrections that took place to to make this guy the leader you would understand exactly how dangerous this group really was the government knew what they were dealing with this guy david koresh was somebody who had used weapons like assault rifles to basically kill people to take uh, his place as the leader of this cult and in this compound which nobody was allowed into unless they were a member they had children armed with assault rifles 
and they were breaking laws and causing huge problems and making threats. And so the government showed up with the military and there was a standoff and they said, if you don't stand down, we're going to come in and make you stand down. And they refused. They said, no, we're not letting you in and we will fight to the last man. And the government said, okay, and went in, did it. That was it. That, it was over from there. A lot of right-wing extremists and Christian extremists and the media also framed it differently than it, than it happened, obviously. They all frame it as though it was serious government overreach and it was kind of a, a largely innocent group that just wanted to live their lives separate from the rest of the world, kind of like the Amish. That's absolutely not what it was. Uh, like I said, I haven't seen the show Waco. I, I really would like to give it a watch, but I studied the Waco cult years and years ago. I've been studying them for years, so I have a pretty good grip on exactly how the whole conflict played out. It's an extremely disturbing situation, and the life of the leader, David Koresh, is even more disturbing than that. When we come back, we're going to talk about researchers discovering cannabis on a 3,000-year-old shrine used by ancient Israelites in Bible times. So give us 30 seconds, and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the first article I wanted to take a look at here is entitled, Holy Smoke, Researchers Say Cannabis Used in Ancient Israelite Shrine. This is on the New York Times website. This is actually by Reuters. Let me, I just want to make sure I credit the person for it. Let's read it and see what it says. Jerusalem, the ancient Israelites may have used cannabis to get high as part of their religious ritual, according to Israeli researchers who found residue of the drug at a nearly 3,000-year-old shrine. The traces were found on an altar at the Tel Arad Temple in the Negev Desert, about 10 kilometers, or 6 miles, from the southern Israeli town of Arad. The site was discovered more than 50 years ago, but new analysis of unidentified organic material on the limestone altar yielded the, su yielded the surprising result. Archaeologist Aaron Airy? Aaron Airy? What a name. That's a really cool name, actually. Archaeologist Aaron Airy, E-R-A-N-A-R-I-E, who led the research project on behalf of the Israel Museum and Israel's Volcani Institute, said the material contained traces of cannabis and animal dung, likely used to help the plant burn. That's a weird thing to mix in. I know a lot of potheads, and I know they mix some weird shit in, but I've never heard of them mixing animal dung. Uh, maybe we just didn't progress to that. Maybe I wasn't in the movement long enough to get to that point. Who knows? Aries said there has been no evidence of cannabis having been cultivated locally during the 8th century BC, suggesting someone had gone to the trouble of importing it for its psychoactive effect. 
Frankincense traces were found on a second altar at the shrine, he said. Reporting by Reinat Harash and Mayan Lubel. Editing by Jeffrey Heller and Angus McSwan. I apologize if I messed up the names of the reporters or the editor or uh, any of the locations. I'm sure I fucked them up somewhere along the line. I'm sorry for that. Uh, I, I do my best with the name stuff. So... This story seemed particularly interesting to me because I've had a lot of people ask me, do I smoke weed? And the answer to that question is no. I used to. I have before, and once a year or so, if I'm in a legal city and I'm with somebody who happens to have it and they are willing to share it with me, in fact, they're forcing it down my throat, then I might smoke some of it but generally i i'm so far past that part of my life at this point that it's it's just like the i don't even drink alcohol but this is not where this story ends um the friendly atheist actually wrote a story on this too so i figured we'd give this one a read and see what he had to say about it this is by terry firma on the friendly atheist website so let's give it a read and see what it says There's been talk of a fourth Harold and Kumar movie. Now, with the latest news from Israel, I'm practically praying that it'll be called Harold and Kumar Go to the Holy Land. That would be a phenomenal name. (laughs) This is a quote. In 1963, two limestone altars were found at the entrance to the Holy of Holies of the Judahite Shrine at Beersheba Valley in Israel's Tel Arad. The shrine dates back to the 8th century BCE. So... 800 years basically before Jesus died, supposedly. This is another quote. Analysis of the materials on two altars now housed in the Israel Museum, Jerusalem, found they contained cannabis and frankincense, according to a study published Thursday. This is the first time that physical evidence of cannabis has been identified in the ancient Near East, according to the study authors. Many cultures used hallucinogenic materials and ingredients in order to get into some kind of religious ecstasy, said leader Aaron Airy, curator of Iron Age and Persian periods archaeology in the Israel Museum, Jerusalem. We never thought about Judah taking part in these cultic practices, Airy said. Uh, Now, this is back to Terry Firma speaking. During a toke, have you ever muttered, that's some good shit? The Judahite worshippers may have said the same thing. They literally burned animal feces along with the cannabis. Chemical evidence of both was found on the altars. Extremely interesting. Here's a quote. Once the cannabis and animal feces were set afire, the waste could have allowed a slow, low-temperature burn that was conducive to group inhalation, the study suggested. Cannabis was burned for a psychoactive role as part of a ritual, since the use of hallucinogenic substances for cultic purposes in the ancient Near East has been documented. The tribe probably didn't grow its own pot either. How cannabis arrived in Telerad is unknown, but since there are no known cannabis seeds or pollen remains in archaeological sites in the ancient Near East, the cannabis was likely imported in hashish form. It's fun to speculate on all the ways Christendom would be very different today if, over the centuries, the devil's weed had been viewed as God's weed instead. I think the term is the devil's lettuce. I don't think it's the devil's weed. I think we're talking devil's lettuce here. Would Sunday services be more attractive if there was guaranteed ecstasy to be had? Would there be fewer religious tight asses? 
Would more Rastafarians convert to Christianity? Would Catholics with serious munchies demand a second helping of the Eucharist? Would Christian rock be tolerable? Would church bands play Cheech and Chong and fish songs? Would 420 be a Christian holiday? Somewhere there's a parallel universe where all this is happening. I think I might like it better than our own. That's pretty funny. Some people actually really like Christian rock, weirdly. I wasn't allowed to listen to Christian rock, but when I was a kid, my parents actually got me a Creed CD. I think the CD was called My Own Prison or something. Come to find out, that's a religious band. Did not know that at the time, but now I, you know, I listened to that music when I was younger, so it's like drilled into my mind permanently, so... It's not terrible, I guess. I don't hate Creed as much as I hate Nickelback, but literally everybody alive hates Nickelback with a fiery passion of a thousand burning suns. So, um, yeah, it's pretty much impossible to hate Creed as much as you hate Nickelback. So when we come back, we're going to talk about the coroner's claims about George Floyd's original autopsy and the latest information from an independent autopsy. So give us 30 seconds and we'll be right back. You're listening to the Telltale Channel. Don't forget to check me out on all social media, Patreon, Twitter, Teespring, and Etsy. All links can be found in the description or on my website, telltaleatheist.com. So the next article I wanted to take a look at is entitled Independent Autopsy Finds George Floyd Died by Asphyxiation Homicide. Now, this is by Reuters. Um, Generally speaking, a lot of the mainstream media in the U.S. is completely untrustworthy and unreliable. That's kind of how I feel about it. But Reuters is actually pretty on point. Reuters is really good. The Associated Press can be good. Uh, There are some others that can be pretty good. ABC can be pretty good. BBC America is actually pretty on point also. So I try to get my news from those places. I don't even bother with, with MSNBC, with CNN, with NBC, or any of those others. Fox News, complete garbage. Complete garbage. Don't even bother. If you're wondering where I get my news so that you can get your news from the same places, I would suggest BBC America, Reuters, Associated Press. Those are pretty good uh, places to go. Before we get into this article, though, let me just give a brief summary of what's happening at this moment. If you live under a rock and are completely unaware, there are riots in the streets right now. I was talking to my friend Cyrus the other day, and he was saying he didn't even feel right about releasing a video because the world, the the U.S. at least, is on fire right now. Like, the world is a mess, and he didn't feel like what he had to say could possibly hold a candle to what's happening right now. And I pointed out to him that we are inundated with this horrific stuff happening day in and day out, and people need 
to get away from that sometimes. So I'm going to continue making videos about the same shit I always have because people need an escape from what's happening outside their windows. So I'm, I, I intend to continue talking about like Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and Scientology and, and all of this other stuff because people need to be able to walk away from the really horrific stuff that's happening in the news cycle at this immediate moment. Um, not to say that what's happening with Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons and Scientology isn't bad. It is, but it's not this. So the point is I've been trying to kind of steer clear of some of these subjects just to try to keep people sane. Um, but this is something I feel I need to talk about. So I'm, I'm going to cover it. There is a man named George Floyd who was sitting outside of a shop. And that shop called the police, told them that uh, a man had just used a, f a counterfeit $20 bill, and that's pretty standard. I, I worked for a gas station one time, and I knew if you get a fake $20 bill, don't confront the person, don't tell them it's fake, don't tell them, don't ask them questions, don't ask them where they got it, none of that stuff. Because honestly, they may not even have realized that they had a fake one. Maybe somebody paid them with it and they're paying you with it now. Like, it, it may not even be their fault. So just contact the police, tell them what's happening, and they will catch up with the person and question them, see if they know where they got it, and kind of try to track it down. Go from there. Well, the guy apparently, George Floyd, he paid with a counterfeit $20 bill. So the shop called the cops, the cops show up, they arrest George Floyd, um, put him in handcuffs, and there's footage from all different angles. It's hard to tell what happened because we don't have shots from every angle, we don't have shots from inside the car or whatever else, but the cops are claiming there was a struggle, he was resisting arrest, I don't know. And eventually they got him on the ground, and one police officer, Derek Chauvin, put his knee on George Floyd's neck, like on his, his, on the veins and the arteries that supply blood to your brain, and on his throat, where air moves through his lungs. And the guy was saying he couldn't breathe. Please put me in the car. Just put me in the car. Why do you want to sit there with your knee on my neck? You can just put me in the car. He started crying out for his mother, who's been dead for years. He was saying, I can't breathe. I can't breathe. And the cop kept his knee on the guy's neck for six minutes then he became unresponsive, just out, out like a light. And he kept his knee on his neck three additional minutes after that for a total of like eight minutes and 46 seconds or something like that. And he died. That was it. He died. You know, as far as I'm concerned and basically everybody else, that was straight up murder. That's murder. You fucking killed that guy. 
there is n- there are no two ways about that. You fucking killed that guy. Anyway, so that's that's where we sit right now. Um, after that event took place, there were riots in the streets. There are still riots going on right now. I think we're like five days in now or something. There are fires being set, buildings being burned down, cars being flipped and set on fire. It is anarchy in the United States right now. Complete anarchy. It is a mess. I've never in my life seen anything like this before. It is insane. So they charged the guy, Derek Chauvin, with third-degree murder. Honestly, I'm not 100% sure how I feel about it. On Twitter, I did say that I'd be happy with that charge under certain circumstances. Like, for example, if he didn't know him previously, which they worked at the same club in 2019, so it's possible he did. If he got a long sentence, or at least longer than usual sentence, I'd be okay with it. Things like that. So... I'm just going to let things play out a little bit before I really comment on how I feel definitively about the charges on him. But the original medical examiner basically said something like, the guy had a ton of underlying health conditions, and that's what contributed to the death. It wasn't completely this cop and all this other stuff. Well, the family, as it turns out got an independent autopsy done and the doctor basically had something completely different to say so let's read this article and see what it says now this is by reuters two doctors who carried out an independent autopsy of george floyd the black man whose death in minneapolis police custody last week triggered nationwide protests said on monday that he died from asphyxiation, and that his death was a homicide. The doctors also said Floyd had no underlying medical conditions that contributed to his death, and that he was likely dead before he was placed into an ambulance. That's actually really different from what the original medical examiner said. The medical examiner basically said there were all kinds of underlying health conditions that could have contributed to it. And I saw somebody on Twitter say something to the effect of, so you're telling me... George Floyd was not healthy enough to be choked for nine minutes and survive. And that's his fault. That's basically what this boils down to. I don't give a shit if he had underlying health conditions or not. The dude murdered him. You you can't just choke somebody for nine minutes and get away with that shit. You can't. You can't get away with that shit. If the system isn't going to punish him, then people are going to riot, as we're seeing. Let's continue reading the article and see what else it says here. That contradicts the initial findings of the official autopsy by the Hennepin County Medical Examiner, which was cited in the court charging document against the police officer who drove his knee into Floyd's neck for several minutes. Damn, I didn't know that the original uh, Hennepin County medical examiner was cited in the court charging document. That's extremely disappointing. Those initial findings said there was no evidence of traumatic strangulation. It also said coronary artery disease and hypertension also likely contributed to Floyd's death. So it said here coronary artery disease and hypertension likely contributed to Floyd's death. If you don't know 
that it for sure did, don't fucking put it in there. It says likely. That that verbiage should not even be in an official court charging document. It's speculation. That's what that is. They put speculation inside of a court document. What the fuck is wrong with these people? What are they doing? This is absurd. The county's full autopsy report has not yet been released. Later on Monday, the medical examiner declared Floyd's death was a homicide. The evidence is consistent with mechanical asphyxia as cause of death and homicide as manner of death, said Dr. Alicia Wilson of the University of Michigan, one of the two forensic doctors who performed an independent autopsy. Dead within minutes is the subheading here. Bystander who showed Floyd pleading to be let up and saying repeatedly that he couldn't breathe as a police officer, Derek Chauvin, kept his knee firmly pinned into Floyd's neck for nearly nine minutes. Two other officers applied pressure with their knees to Floyd's back. Chauvin, who is white and has been fired from the Minneapolis Police Department, was hit with third-degree murder and manslaughter charges last week. But Dr. Michael Baden, who also took part in the independent autopsy at the behest of Floyd's family, said that the two other officers' actions also caused Floyd to stop breathing. We can see after a little bit less than four minutes that Mr. Floyd is motionless, lifeless, Baden said, adding he found no underlying health conditions in Floyd that caused his death. Baden has worked on several high-profile cases, including the 2014 death of Eric Garner, a black man who died after being choked by police in New York City. Baden shot down the argument that if Floyd could speak, then he could breathe. Many police are under the impression that if you can talk, that means you're breathing. That is not true, Baden said. I'm talking right now in front of you and not taking a breath. One of my issues with this whole situation is... There were four police officers around, right? One of them was standing up and kind of trying to deal with the crowd. The other three were on top of Floyd with their knees in his neck and or back. They heard him crying for his life. And they heard the crowd screaming for them to put him in the car. This doesn't just fall on Chauvin. Why didn't the other two tell him to move his fucking knee? Or grab his knee and move it themselves? Or stand the dude up and put him in the car? Why? Why didn't they do that? I can understand, like, the, 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 the cop that was kind of up and walking around and trying to manage the crowd. I get that they weren't really paying attention to what was happening behind them as much as you know, Derek Chauvin was, for example. So I I could forgive it if they gave them a lesser charge. But as far as I'm concerned, all three of those people are culpable in this murder. They all three took part in this murder. It really makes me want to cry, this situation, seriously. It really does. Let's finish this article up here. More charges demanded. Antonio... Romanucci, one of the attorneys representing the Floyd family, said that all four officers at the scene should be facing charges, not just Chauvin. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Um, I don't know about the fourth one standing up managing the crowd. I only saw the video once. It was truly hard to watch. Maybe they did know what was happening and, and maybe they should be faced with charges. 
maybe involuntary manslaughter, I don't know, something. Not only was the knee on George's neck a cause of his death, but so was the weight of the other two police officers on his back. Oh, and and the fact that none of them said anything to Derek Chauvin. That, that's another cause of death. Not only was the knee on George's neck a cause of his death, but so was the weight of the other two police officers on his back, who not only prevented the blood flow into his brain, uh, into his brain, but the airflow into his lungs, Romanucci said. That makes all of those officers on the scene criminally liable. I agree. I agree. But the outrage is toward Derek right now. Ben Crump, lead attorney for the Floyd family, and also, interestingly enough, lead attorney for the Ahmad Arbery case, said the independent autopsy and video evidence make it clear that Floyd was dead while he was still lying on the street with police atop him. That ambulance was his hearse, he said. Crump said the Floyd family wants to see charges lodged against all four officers who were at the scene, and for Chauvin, who need Floyd's neck to be facing first-degree murder charges. I don't know. I don't think it's first-degree murder, because I don't know that it was premeditated. I think first-degree requires them to have known each other beforehand and for it to be premeditated. Those are, like, requirements for first-degree. It could be second-degree, it's complicated. I'm not a lawyer. I don't know exactly. Um, but I, from what I do know, I don't think it's a first-degree type of case. I think it's a definitional thing. Like, they could give him second-degree and then give him other charges on top of that, so it adds up to the same type of sentencing as a first-degree murder would add up to. I just want to make sure that they get the sentencing correct and, at, and accurate. Anyway. But they're also seeking an end to the violent protests that have beset the United States to end. George died because he needed a breath, a breath of air, Crump said. I implore you all to join his family in taking a breath, taking a breath for justice, taking a breath for peace. This, is, this whole situation is so ugly. It's so extremely ugly and sad, and I just can't stand it. It's heartbreaking. It really makes me want to cry, man. I just, I see these shirts that say like pictures of George Floyd on them that say rest in power and stuff. It, it's just so inspiring and sad and probably the, the saddest part of this aftermath is the fact that George Floyd will never know what he meant to the country and the history books. Like, his family will know what he meant to the country in the history books, but he never will. Just heartbreaking. It's just extremely heartbreaking. Anyway, there was another article I wanted to look at because there is some serious aftermath taking place right now. Um... Last I heard, the news is really rolling out faster than I can keep up at the moment, but protests have broken out across the country in all different cities. It is a train wreck. It, it, it is the definition of a dumpster fire. And people actually went to the White House to protest, um, basically protesting outside the White House. And Trump is scared. He's afraid. It's fairly obvious. 
he has been tweeting about the whole situation, watching it happen. It started out with a tweet about... Uh, it started out with him tweeting about MAGA supporters coming to the White House to counter-protest the protesters, basically trying to start a confrontation or a conflict between people protesting you know, George Floyd's death, starting a, a confrontation between them and his own supporters, his own Make America Great Again people. And as far as I know, I think they did show up. But last I heard, they actually locked the White House down and turned off the lights and brought Trump into the bunker underneath the White House. I hope they had a television in there. Otherwise, he was probably bored as fucking shit. But I'm not sure if it was before he went into the bunker or after he came out. But he was tweeting about looking out the window and seeing people uh, protesting and seeing the Secret Service defending him and things like that. And it was clear to me that he was afraid. Now, I I said this on Twitter. I don't want anybody to get hurt. I don't want Trump to get hurt. I don't want police to get hurt. I don't want protesters to get hurt. I don't want anybody hurt. I I, I am so pacifist. I don't believe in violence. There is a part of me that feels vindication, though, at the fact that Trump is feeling some of that fear that he inspired in people with all of the racist bullshit he's slung at them over the years. I mean, I'm sure you guys remember him calling Mexicans every every name in the book, criminals and everything else. And I'm sure you remember him calling it the Chinese virus. And we could watch hate crimes against Asians spike every time he said it. The dude is living in fear at this immediate moment because he's afraid people are going to break through the White House gates and hurt him or something. Now, I don't want that to happen. I do not condone that. Do not want that to happen under any circumstances. But it is vindicating to know that he feels some of the fear that he inspired in other people. There was some news that broke right before we actually got into the podcast. So I wanted to just kind of read through some of this. Now, I don't think I'm going to read the whole thing, but I figure we'll just read a little bit of it. This is on the PBS.org website, Public Broadcasting System. Title is, Trump says if governors don't crack down on protests, he will quickly solve the problem for them. Which, FYI, means martial law. Minneapolis. President Donald Trump threatened on Monday to deploy the U.S. military unless states quickly halted the violent protests that have convulsed cities from coast to coast hours after George Floyd's brother pleaded for peace, saying destruction is not going to bring my brother back at all. The competing messages, one conciliatory, one bellicose, came as the U.S. braced for another round of violence at a time when the country is already buckling because of the coronavirus outbreak and the depression-level unemployment it has caused. Trump said he was recommending that governors throughout the country deploy the National Guard in sufficient numbers to dominate the streets. If governors fail to take action, Trump said he will deploy the U.S. military and quickly solve the problem for them. So Trump wants to deploy military on the streets of the U.S. and put down anybody they see. 
This is a nightmare, to say the least. Trump spoke in the Rose Garden minutes after police fired tear gas to disperse hundreds of peaceful, chanting protesters gathered in the park across the street from the White House. Yeah, see, we have a right to protest. That's that's the thing. Um, we have a, a constitutional right to protest. So if they're firing tear gas into a peaceful protest, they're violating people's human rights. But I don't think it matters at this point. Who is going to stop them? Who is going to stop them? The National Guard presence in Washington was much more overt Monday than the day before. Beige Hummers blocked several downtown intersections. But in Minneapolis, Floyd's brother Terrence made an emotional plea for peace at the site where Floyd was pinned to the pavement by an officer who put his knee on the handcuffed black man's neck until he stopped breathing. Let's switch it up, y'all. Let's switch it up. Do this peacefully, please, Terrence Floyd said. A lot of people are doing it peacefully. There is a difference between protesters and rioters and looters. There are a difference between those three groups. Um, protesters are doing it peacefully. Rioters are not. Looters are just taking advantage of the situation. But it doesn't matter, ultimately, because they, they don't want the protests to be taking place at all right now. Um, the, the federal government doesn't, like Trump doesn't. And, I mean, Amnesty International even came out and said the U.S. is not allowing people to protest peacefully. This is just an extremely disturbing situation, um, and I don't, I don't even know what to do about it. I just want to move out of the fucking country, like, right now. I'm probably going down with the ship, but one can dream. Anyway, let's continue reading. The crowd chanted, what's his name? George Floyd, and one down, three to go, in reference to the four officers involved in Floyd's arrest. Officer Derek Chauvin has been charged with murder, but protesters are demanding that his colleagues be prosecuted too. All four were fired. I'd like to see him prosecuted also. I can't imagine they can get a job anywhere right now. They're probably straight up fucked. The gathering was part rally and part impromptu eulogy as Floyd urged people to stop the violence and use their power at the ballot box. It's an extremely important point. If I'm not over here messing up my community, then what are you all doing, he said. You all are doing nothing because that's not going to bring my brother back at all. The country has been beset by angry demonstrations for the past week and some of the most widespread racial unrest in the U.S. Since, since the 1960s. Spurred in part by Floyd's death, protesters have taken to the streets to decry the killings of black people by police. Tell you what Trump could do to fix this problem. He thinks that he's going to dominate people and make them stop rioting. That's going to make it worse. I don't know about rioting. It may not make the rioting worse, but it's going to make the racial divide worse, and it's going to make people hate him even more. Uh, I will tell you what he could do to solve the problem, though, and make himself a lot more popular come election time. He could push through executive orders that are tangible changes and tangible fixes to the problem that we're facing right now. So maybe he can't affect local police forces exactly with executive orders. Maybe he can, maybe he can't. He could push an executive order through uh, basically ordering police 
to have stricter psych evals and mandatory body cams. If that's not something he could do through executive order, then it would at the very least improve his image and show people that he cares a lot about what happens with this situation. And he could at the very least try to pressure local police forces into doing that by threatening to withhold funding. There's a ton of shit he could do to bridge the divide. There's a massive divide in the country right now. And he's literally not doing shit about it. He's not doing anything. Why not? This is his opportunity to win the black vote. Right here. Do it. Do something to improve the country and win over some voters while you're at it. Nope. Instead, he would rather dominate protesters with military forces. I don't understand his logic. I don't get it. I don't understand what he's thinking or why he's doing it this way. It's it's because he's got an authoritarian mindset, not a problem-solver mindset, not a let's work together to solve this, let's work together to figure this out. We all have a problem, we're all a country together, and I want us to find a solution to the problem that we are dealing with. No, that's not how he thinks. He thinks people are scaring me, so now I'm going to dominate them with guns. That's what he thinks. That's his mindset. That's an authoritarian mindset. That's the type of authoritarian nightmare that we live in right now. We have to go vote. Even if you're not voting for Biden, that's okay. You know, that's okay. Go vote anyways. Go vote for senators and congressmen and everybody else. There are like a ton of different people to vote for. They're like city assessors and stuff that you can vote for. Vote for them. Go to the ballot box or get an absentee ballot or whatever and vote, man. Even if you don't circle in that little box for Biden, just fucking vote. It is the most important thing that you can do right now this is probably the most important election of your life of any of our lives right here right now thank you guys for coming it's been an interesting one and i will talk to you guys next week if you like what i do and you want to make sure i can continue to do it you can support me in a few ways first you can support me on patreon that's probably the best way but if you want to get something back for your support you can check out my teespring i sell all kinds of shirts and stickers and stuff on there second you can support me by checking out my etsy store i sell 3d printed stands for every system from the original nintendo to the xbox one and finally if you want to support me in other ways you can check me out on my other channels i have the podcast channel which is where i talk about whatever's on my mind politics social issues whatever. You can also find it everywhere podcasts can be found. Or you can check out the videos on my main channel where I focus on destructive cults. As it is with most channels these days, I rely on the support of viewers like you to keep my channel alive, so sharing my work is extremely helpful. Anyways, check me out in all those places if you haven't already. Thanks for listening, guys.